This is the Bull Mountain Brothers Podcast. Does it classify you as an adult to own an umbrella? What's the other one you use? Grubhub or something? Grubhub? <laughs> <laughs> no, you're not getting it for you. Now he's the yawn guy? This is the BMB Network, and you're listening to the 56th podcast of the Bull Mountain Brothers. Boys, we are back from quite a night. Spectacular night. I mean, it was couldn't win any better. I we talked about this earlier. I couldn't have had I went into well, some 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 background knowledge here. Last night, because I guess they wouldn't know when this podcast was recorded because it comes out Friday. Mm-hmm. Last night would have been our first ever fundraiser for the Bull Mountain Brothers and the Starlight Foundation. Um, it was held at the High Horse Saloon in Billings, Montana. And it turned out amazing. Well, not I'm not ready to say amazing, but it turned out really, really fun, really good. Time. I would, I would. I'm going to be honest. I mean, like for our first fundraiser, that was great. I mean, it really. I think the turn the turnout was good. I was really because we we've done something like this, not even like this. We did. Uh, let's say a public outreach, right? Uh, we went to and did a booth last year, and it, it really sucked. Had no one show up. Um, and so that was my mentality going into last night was what if no one shows up, right? Like what, like that would really suck. It'd look, it'd be, it'd look bad on us and it would look, you know, cause we're trying to not only help the Starlight Foundation, um, benefit Bull Mountain Brothers, but really benefit the, the, the High Horse Saloon, right? Bring, put ass in seats is what they say. And it would look bad on us for future cause we want to do future stuff with them. Um, it would look bad on us if it sucked. And I was it was there no seats at some point? Oh yeah, for most of the night there was not an empty chair, other than there was a like a table way off well, the back. Well, that also but got filled. But I think it got filled as other people left. But well, still, the, at the same time, every seat in that place had a butt in it, it at was, one it was, point or another. It was pretty cool too because the we met we actually met a guy last night that uh, we some somewhat made a connection with that he had no idea that was going on and he came in on a on a date and he couldn't find a a place to sit so i mean the, the turnout was great yeah i mean it was i was not prepared for it to be not only we had no expectations i mean we had no I, I had I, low expectations if i had anything but realistically we had no idea like what that was our first fundraiser that we've ever done. So like we, we had, we were going into everything. Like I have no idea what's going to happen. And then things would, you know, come to us and we're like, Oh really? Okay, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like let's, you know, let's yeah. do it that way. You know what I mean? It was just, it was cool. Yeah. And I think like it turned into like some networking too. Like we met three or four different people that just randomly came up and said, Hey, uh, like they either, you know, we had something that said that we, we started a nonprofit, like veterans thing too. Like we'd like to meet you guys, hang out and come up with something. Um, we met some hunters. We met some, a journalist. I mean, it was, it was crazy. It was a crazy experience. I thought, I thought mm-hmm. it was like, I, like I said, I went into it thinking like this, like I was kind of dreading it and then we did it and it was like, I had a, a great time. I think that the high horse is a wonderful place to host that kind of event. Absolutely. And we did well. The crowd was right for sure. Yeah, and I mean, I, I was kind of nervous too because like you're in a, I mean, Billings, Montana itself is a town of like 130,000 people now, I think, and and, and rising. And so you're, 
people that are coming to different stuff could have different values, right? There could have been, um, you know, some people that were really not interested in what we were doing. And I think we met some too. We met, you know, someone claiming I'm a vegan, you know, they want to know what we're about. And, you know, I'm all, I'm always open. That was our first experience with that. But. Yeah, I was, I'm always open to have that conversation, right? And uh, I think it went well. Yeah. I agree. I mean, just to give like the perspective of like our, essentially our values that we have as a, as a company, as a group of guys that hunt and fish and do all that, you know, everything that uh, we're graced with in the great state of Montana. Um, it was kind of cool that like to get that experience with somebody that's like, you know, I've never done that before. And to be able to explain to them with a passion why we do it and in somewhat how we do it. You know what I mean? So it was, it was, it was great. Absolutely. Yeah. I just, I was overwhelmed by the the support that we got there. Yeah. What was your rundown of the night? Like how did the night go down in the way you saw it? Like I was very similar to you. I kind of went in and I was like, man, this might be kind of lame. You know, everyone's walking in to, to go get a table for bingo and people just keep walking by and walking by and, you get a little side eye like, oh, hey, guys. And then all of a sudden, everybody's coming back from their seats once they get situated and they're coming to talk to us. I'm like, hey, who are you guys? What are you guys doing here? And then we started explaining. I'm like, oh, that's awesome. That's really cool. And a lot of people are like, oh, you guys are in Billings? And we're like, yeah. I'm like, oh, we never heard of you. I was like, oh, <laughs> not that big, but. I mean, we have, a, we have a decent outreach. It's just not like, I think that we need, we're starting to lay the groundwork for, for more, um, like we have the whole TikTok thing, so we we have definitely some, you know, if you look at our podcast um, analytics, like we're all over the United States right now. Um, but I think to lay down a good framework for the company, it's doing local outreach, and I think a lot of companies start that way, you know, like really supporting your local uh, taverns, your local uh, food banks, your local stuff, businesses, small business. What's wrong? <laughs> Sorry, just I'll tell you about it later. What? Nothing. Just Who doesn't? Who just sits here and smiles? I was laughing to myself. You're crazy. Um, so yeah, I mean, like you, you start with the local stuff, and I think that um, the more people that know about us here, and I, I want to have the best perception of Bull Mountain Brothers to the local. I mean, it's really important. I mean, we live here, so it's like the people we have to run into every day. So if we can continue to partner with really awesome organizations and and do some really good things, I think that those should go hand in hand. I did I did enjoy the fact that I mean like my opinion on it going into it, I was like I was super stoked. Like I was kind of like almost like freaking out inside a little bit about like you know I want to present perfectly. You know what I mean? I want to be something that when people come across us, they, they appreciate the outside of the fact of what we do, but the professionalism that we come across with. And so I was, I was a little nervous going in, you know, like to be able to talk to a bunch of what, not really at the same time. I, I wasn't worried about talking to the people, but being able to present myself in a professional way was the big thing that I was, um, struggling with a little bit because i mean at the same time i do that daily you know what i mean but um i get what you're saying though because like there was a point in time where like oh we should eat in shifts just so there's someone here to like 
So we're not all run the we booth. Had some really good food too. Yeah, we did. Absolutely. Um, but I think it was cool too because at the end of the night, I think the three of us were like, and we had some great support from um, some lodge crew members and previous turkey winner, uh, Dylan Miller and Chad Logger. I mean, yeah, thank those, you to those guys yeah, for awesome. Yeah, even us. I mean, Josh showed up. Yeah, and Josh and uh, you know some uh, his friends and. Um, you know, friends that you guys um, know and things like that. But, like, Chad was there the whole time we were, you know. he yeah, He's a rock star. He was the first one. He beat me there. Yeah, he came He came and, you know, helped set up and did all that stuff. That was awesome. But I think the three of us at the end of the night were kind of like, this was f- so much fun. Like, I, I want to do these, you know. And oh, we're yeah. like, in, in, like, the booth idea, we were like, let's <laughs> – Let's go out of the country and do this, you know? And then we're like, <laughs> this would be great. And then, of course, you know, the three of us had a good... And well, I don't know so much about Riley, but uh, it was a good night because we ended it with the... Let's throw a 20 in the in the. Oh, machine. we were all positive. Yeah. I, we, I made money. Yeah. You did, yeah. yeah. And so we we all came out, you know, we're like, yeah, let's throw a 20 in. I had a bonus on my first one and then ran through the bonus and left. I was really on a roll. Yeah, you did good. Sean did good too. He made like eighty bucks. Yeah, so it was, it was a overall it was a good night, and I know that like our conversation in the parking lot after that was like, holy shit, we, we like these are great. Like we did well, you know. Like we spoke in front of everybody. Well, can I get your opinion on something? Um, do you think that like even as much as like, well, I guess on here we've really established a way to. Uh, this is public speaking, but not to the public. You know what I'm saying? Uh, you get used to talking to, I mean, that camera is essentially, could be five people, could be 500 people, could be 5,000 people, right? So we've we've developed a way of talking to people, but at the same time, we're still, the three of us are still a little shy. I've noticed that in a, li- in, in, in a little bit of the stuff we've done. So going into this, you know, I worry, I worried about like, eh, are we going to be able to talk to people? Are we going to be able to do this, do that? You guys made me talk on the mic. I was peeing myself the whole time you literally have the most mic time out of anybody in here just based on how much you talk during the podcast <laughs> i know but i was just like man i can't say because like on here i can kind of run through what i'm going to say before like when you guys are talking i can start thinking about what i'm going to say when i'm up on that thing it's just like oh i gotta i gotta i can't stop talking and look unprofessional so i was a little nervous i will say like my heart was beating a little Did bit he not try to play it off like he was not nervous at mm-hmm. all to do that the whole yeah. time did I seem nervous when I was talking? Oh, yeah. Oh, that sucks. When you were talking? Oh, yeah. T- not in the beginning. You're talking you to a guy that I've known my entire life. I know, life. but like you went into it, like you you sounded good, and then like towards the end, it was a little... Yeah, because I was running out of things to say. Yeah. But... I mean, that happens. But now, I, you know, I guarantee... Tomorrow night. I guarantee it. Tomorrow <laughs> I'm ready night. Tomorrow I'll night. go up there with you tomorrow night. Really? Yeah. That'd be great. Yeah. I think it was fun. Like, I, I'm, I'm, I, I, I think that for the future... Um, I, I'm more willing to do more public events like this. Yeah. And I don't know how you guys feel. I mean, like I, I know we have, uh, have we talked about the one we're going to do in June? No, we're going to do, a, we're going to do a booth. Um, let me get some more details on that before we really drop those news, but we're going to do, uh, another, uh, booth, uh, whenever this happens in June. it's not the same weekend. It usually is. It's going to be like second or third week of June. Um, but that's going to be cool too. It's, it's what we did last year, but upgraded a lot. Um, it's going to be very similar. And then we've been talking about doing some live podcasts, possibly, if we start developing these relationships. So 
Um, I, I will take I will take last night as a win. For sure. It was we have a lot more information going into tomorrow night than we did last night, which is good because you know we'll know what to expect and be be prepared in a sense. Oh, for um, sure. I think as far as our kind of we we did know in a way what to expect last night, um, but our planning and our preparation, you know, leading into it, I think we did really good because we're like, you know, how do we come across the best we can? How we talked on the phone for an hour the night before, just kind of figuring out right. what the hell we were going to well, do. Well, to be fair, this is something that Matt set up. So um, to be the ones that weren't even involved in the initial conversation and then to come out and perform was a showing of really what we can do for future events for sure i do like our um we we had a lot of really big ideas after i mean like today talking amongst ourselves like what we could do for tomorrow um i think i think bull mountain brothers will come uh What's that saying? That's really come correct tomorrow. We came correct Monday. We're going to come correct to the Squire yeah. on Wednesday. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so of course we can't like advertise it, but if, if you guys make it to the Squire tomorrow, which would be Wednesday, thank you so much. We appreciate it. This podcast will come up Friday. So um, if you guys make it like, let's, I hope, I hope we have as good an event tomorrow as uh, we did yesterday. Cause uh, and you guys went and checked out the Squire. Um, last weekend and you, and you guys got kind of mapped out. So I think, I think if we can come into it and there's as many people, um, I think it'll be just as fun. Oh, easily. And again, thank you Reed and the, and, and both locations for, for allowing us to do this and really supporting us. Uh, it's, it's, it's really become a passion for us and, 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 uh, really like a part of our hearts to be able to, to give back to these, uh, wounded veterans and stuff that that partake in the Starlight Foundation. It's it's something that we're starting to become way more passionate about than we were, you know, say a year ago. For sure. So yeah, enough on that subject. You guys have any? What do you guys? You guys went up to anything else besides that recently? I mean, we've been really stagnant on getting out, and we've been so busy doing like hardcore company stuff that we've missed out on a lot of things. I will say, I Outdoor see, things. I see, Ramsey's got the steelhead mustache shaved. Kind of brings up a sore subject. We already knew this though because we talked about yeah. it. Yeah, it's just. But you do have the steelhead mustache. Shaved. I do. I do. You have no beard. Yeah, I'm all clean shaven. Got less of a double chin than I used to. Can't you can't call that clean shaven? This well, is, it, it was, was when you, it was when it was Saturday it. or whatever it was. What? But my beard grows like wildfire, dude. It's stupid. But uh. Yeah, so we didn't get to go steelhead fishing, but I'm I'm going I'm going fishing this weekend. Finally, it's been probably a month since I've been done I've done any fishing, so I'm excited to get back out and and do that. You know, starting to get into I, I guess your mustache is just the, it's the spring fishing mustache. Well, I mean, first of all, I shaved it into the old Fu Manchu and Razak. You look like an idiot. So this is what I ended up. I like that Excuse much me. better. I think you look way better. I might keep it for a while. I might. Yeah, I had to tame mine. I was, it was. I'm also getting real close to cutting the hair. Oh, God. Please don't. Can you at least go through one more hunting season with it? You know how much hard work it is to get your hair that long? See, my only issue is, is I'm starting a new job. 
And the last time I did this sort of work and I had long hair, it was the most annoying thing on the planet because... And it can get close to... like There's some more different equipment that you could be working with that could really... And there's a lot more welding involved I, with this I, job. I support it. I support it if you want to do it, but... I mean, I'm not going to go Sean short. Dude, but. no. I think if you if you cut your hair, I think you should go straight, like, shortest you've ever done it. No. You don't think he should go for, like, a straight, like, fade? Like a fade? Like a... like a Absolutely not. Try, I mean, you are a single man. I have a giant head, so... I, so. You, have, you have thick hair, though. Hair grows well, back. Sean and I don't have thick hair, so we can't... <laughs> <laughs> Sean doesn't like that I included him there. <laughs> oh, man. I think you should... I think you should cut it really. Good. Not a chance. Why? What are you? Who Why, what are you? Who's out there to about? impress? I just don't like short, short hair. So no, I'm not talking like buzz. I'm talking like a, like a nice fade or something like that. Like a That's, nice, like like professional they, they looking start with haircut. A, a buzz to go into a fade. I know. I have my hair faded into a mullet. No, you don't. You have your hair patchy into. Riley a actually gets a perm. My hair is naturally curly, curly. So step off. It may be thin, but it's natural. It looks like an extra large order of. And, and I will say the other thing about when you have hair this long, if you cut it short, it just like from being having weight on it, it sticks straight out and it looks. You're just ridiculous. saying that because that's you, so f- that's so bullshit. I had ask hair. Jill. I ask had, Jill. I had hair longer than yours, and I cut it like buzz cut after. And it, Sean, what would you say if you found out that Ramsey shaved my beard for me the other night? Are you okay with it? No. Can I well, tell you why? No. Why? Because now I just, like, I'm looking at you different. It's... Uh, but the last time I, I shaved, like, I'm not talking, like, I can, nor- I normal trim all the time, right? But the last time I went from a big beard to tr- short, I didn't set the guard right or something, literally just shaved my mustache off. And that's something I cannot risk. Yeah. I am not a good mustache only guy. Or without a mustache. Guy. It wouldn't be allowed within like 200 feet of a Chuck E. Cheese of school. <laughs> yeah. So I did request, we did, he helped me. I feel like you guys are reading too, too far into like your looks. I mean, just send it. Who cares? Well, not all of us uh, can look like vampires. Yeah. It's not all of us are married either, Sean. So some of us are still trying to swoon. And some of us might be getting old, Sean. Some of us might be close to 30, Sean. Still, at the end of the day, who gives a shit? I don't really give a shit. I just like to look presentable. And Ramsey said I've looked like a homeless man for the last three months, so. His beard was bad. I thought it was very fitting. Yeah, but, you know, at the same time, long hair was cool when you were 17, you know what I mean? So You're not against, you're against long hair now? I hate, I mean, after having it, I... Absolutely, will never go back. I think where Sean's biggest problem is is that it's too thin up top now, so it wouldn't (laughs) look right. That listen, that's listen. I have been growing my hair out. Do you want to know why it was too thin up top? That was a head and shoulders mistake. What do you mean? You used the wrong shampoo or what? Do you know that head and shoulders is only a dandruff shampoo? Yeah. So you're saying you're worried that you used the shampoo that started, I used it for to, started to ruin your years. hair. Years. And it's ruining your hair. I never knew it was just a dandruff shampoo until my mother-in-law was the one who was like, you do realize that's a dandruff shampoo, right? So you chemically ruined your hair. I, yeah, 
That's I also scary. think that was your well. No, you know what I think my hair started going going bad was when I when I had it that long and I would two reasons. Like when it was down to my shoulders, I would keep it in a ponytail all the time. I think that like ruined my hair. I think it's the fact I that had my when hair you had long hair, you took like three showers a day and you probably always washed your hair. Oh yeah, every time. So bad for And your I use conditioner every time. And I like I have curly hair, so you have to brush it and I would just like literally just like through like just I don't even know how to explain it. Like I would just like run through my hair. Did you wash your hair every time you showered when you had long hair or was no. it like every other day? I probably would go at like at least two days. Yeah. See, that's where I am. But I'll be honest with my hair. My hair right now is getting long again. But like now I wash my hair pretty much every time I shower. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I do it every time. But also it's because like my wife Super has. bad for it. So after the whole head and shoulders thing, um, my wife was like, let's you're, like you're gonna use my shampoo because she spends i mean it's outrageous amounts of money on shampoo right and of course but it's like she'll buy the big ones and then not like it after like using a quarter of it and then buy some new fancy one and then you're like seriously we just spent you know however much money on that shampoo and you're not going to use it anymore so now i'm using one of her leftovers oh, yeah you know and it's changed a lot but i i'm I, sure i guarantee you is that i didn't know that i didn't know head and shoulders was just i thought because it, it was like the two-in-one i was like oh well, perfect that's what my mom used because she's a hairstylist and she would always like because i remember in wrestling in high school they would like if you didn't supply your own shampoo which was pretty rare because we were young and we didn't bring that kind of stuff to high school they would give you the blue bottle of like suave or whatever it was like the cheapest stuff they could get and you, and my mom would like literally chew us out if we use that on our hair because it's so bad for your hair. And so like that, like yeah, that chemical stuff. I mean, but I'll be honest with you, the reason I grow out my hair anymore is because I'm terrified I'm gonna wake up one year and it's just it. I can't do that anymore. So I'm growing it while I can, if that makes sense. Embrace it. Hey, my dad lost See, his I, hair when he was like sixteen, seventeen. So did my dad, but yeah. I. I don't have a good scalp, bro. I've had I've had like four different sets of stitches on there, and I'm gonna have an ugly ass bald head. So I'm trying to just keep some sort you of. You just wear a hat all the time. I know a guy. You know the guy. I guarantee you will listen to this podcast. He knows who he is. He uh he is um bald for sure. Like he's got the like backside where it's long. But he just wears a hat all day. Well, I could run the. I could no. Nah, I don't want to talk about that, but. Um, but also, like they say, like the hat, hats cause you to get thin up top. Can I t- can I talk about another like guilty pleasure that I have that you're gonna make fun of me for? Uh, I like TLC shows in my free time. Ramsey Ramsey already knows this. Like like Thousand Pound Sisters, um, the Amish one, <laughs> stuff like that. But I watch the Ninety Day Fiance too, right? I know Sean's instantly what judging me right that? now. It's like where people meet online. And they get married in 90 days? Yeah. Oh, yeah, makes sense. Yeah, so there was this one, there was this dude that, like, would not take his hat off, right? I just applied six times for that. Like, they were banging on, like, people were were doing the, what adults do, and the dude was wearing a hat because he was so self-conscious about his bald head. I don't think I would ever be that, but I don't want to be known as a hat guy, because then you walk into a room, they're like... Well, you're wearing a hat because you're bald. I'm not bald, though. So why are we talking about me being bald? I just have a little bit. Among all tangents that have happened on the Bull Mountain Brothers podcast, this is by far (laughs) the dumbest fucking tangent we've ever been Yeah, but at the same time, do you think people will judge you if you're having a bald head? 
again, Sean, I'm trying to be presentable in my late 20s. And I think I have a good look going on, and I don't want to be bald yet. Dude, what if he's, I told he's trying to do what, what you did and look good in high school and then get married and then just look like shit after that. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> Come on, you can laugh at that one. That I like how Ramsey tries to hardcore pivot out of conversations. <laughs> like, we're having, oh, this is a good conversation. And he's trying to pivot out of it right now. I'm not. I'm just trying yeah, to The be only funny. guy in the room with flush flowing hair, and he wants to pivot out of the conversation. Whoa, 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 whoa. Lush flowing all, hair? All the way around. We're you not have, just talking about the three quarters from the front listen, to the back. Listen, you have good hair, Sean. I'm not going to lie. Like, it's decent. It's, yeah, see, that's not... I just saw, I just saw a ball. Like, it's... That's you not get, a... You're not, you're the not doing yourself. not doing a You're not justifying you right yourself. Now. What's going on with this? I mean... Mine's pretty greasy because it's been in the hat all it's day. It's always but. greasy. Don't lie to me. All right. We're not showing people our hair now, guys. Let's take a poll. Let's not pan. Let's not pan over here, please. No, no. The Come on. Take your hat off. I'm not taking my hat off. <laughs> you want to be known as a hat guy? Let's see. I mean, it's not that bad. It looks better than Sean's. <laughs> um, hold on. Hold on. Uh, no, you know, I get it. I know I get it because Ramsey is <laughs> keeping the tangent with the with the long hair because he posted a Tinder profile picture about four years ago and that's what he uses. I get it. It's okay. What is that? I'm like the same weight <laughs> four years no, ago. No, I'm talking about your face, your oh, head. What about your hair? Follow the I just I Follow like I like I like my, the idea of growing your hair long shit because talking, would there'll, you? Be a, there'll be a time in your life we won't be able to do it. What do you mean? There'll be a time in your life where you won't be able to grow your hair out. I don't know about that. Are you just saying you don't? On my don't fucking do it? deathbed, maybe. You ever heard the thing? It's like your mom's dad is there. It, like if he's bald, you don't you will you'll be bald. That's the whole thing, right? I have no idea. Yeah, I just my mom's dad died when she was six, so with a full head of hair. So oh really? Well, I don't even know. Kind of like, uh, like Roger. Oh yeah. So that's what I'm saying. Is like, All right, here's here's a pull. Would you rather Would you rather start balding on the front of your head or the back of your head? I'm gonna Neither. say back. I would say if I had to choose, it would be back. like a bad hairline or balding and like in the back of your head. Well, like I'm starting to thin. Like if I I hate talking about this all the time. If I was to say I was starting to go thin, it would be like if, if the right the right light kind of see through the the peak of my head. The right light looks pretty okay most of the time, but I wouldn't like if like you know like it started to ball right here. That would really I would really be self conscious about that because I can't see that. So like if I'm not exactly, wearing exactly, you can't see it. Why well, does it matter? I don't know. It just would bug me. Once again, we circle back to the fact that you wear a hat twelve hours of the day. That's not true. I don't wear a hat at work. Yes, you do. Not all the time. I wear headphones. So you're wearing. I wear your. I wear, right I wear ear protection. <laughs> also false because your speaker is. No, it's all. It's all. It's protect my ear. Anyway, carrying on. This was. Uh... <laughs> Sean, pivot us out of this conversation. <laughs> We're now thirty minutes into the podcast. <laughs> talking about. And then we've right talked now. about the high horse in our hair. Did you have something for us, Sean? That I you did. To I talk did. About? I don't know. I don't know if we do. We want to hear from our great friends at uh, F and H before I bring this in, or do you want to just go right into That's it? That's fine. Let's go ahead and uh, let's uh, 
let's go to break. And when we get back, I think you know, we're getting break a little early. We usually do about 45 minutes to an hour. Um, but Sean said that this conversation that he wants to bring up could really run for a while. So good. I don't want to, I don't want to interrupt your conversation at all. So uh, let's hear from our good friends at F and H and we'll be right back. Thank you for those great words from our awesome sponsors at F and H fans. Now, so my, uh, I mean, it's kind of a segment. I just know that this kind of conversation is going to spark something that, I mean, this could go on tangents, on tangents, on tangents. Um, I actually heard this today. Um, I'm going to give credit to Alan Kuhnfair and Casey Smith for this um, question that uh, they brought up to me today um, while we were eating lunch that uh, I didn't, I just really think it's something that I feel like a lot of hunters in Montana haven't thought about. And it was kind of tough for me to kind of gel with them because in their sense where they hunt, the mule deer population is like, has dropped. And I feel like we have felt that, especially like with Narnia, the mule deer population has dropped a lot. I, I don't know necessarily uh, with two leggings, if you guys have seen similar um, population drop, but essentially they kind of came up with the, or I guess this would be more so Casey came up with this idea that um, what would you guys think about if the state of Montana, instead of doing specialty a tag drawings for uh, horned meal or horned deer in Montana, whether it be a whitetail or a uh, mule deer, if they were to just do essentially a general tag for an a tag, but do it where you can only shoot something that's over a three point buck. How would you guys take that? Now, if you can get one of you guys can do the research for me real quick. I have I believe there's some states that are that are oh Jesus. Sorry, boys. That's even worse. I don't know what to do. There we go. All right. Other way. Um I believe there's some states that do this with whitetail already. Or there's there's some species out there that you have to we might have to look into this, but I think there is a something in regulation out there where there has to, like, I know there's stuff, uh, obviously, uh, for elk where you have to shoot, there's some regions where they're brow tine only, or, uh, you can't shoot spikes or you have to, you can shoot spikes, stuff like that. There is stuff implemented out there. Uh, guys, this is going to drive me crazy. What is going on here? Other way. Good God. All right. All right. Um, that is already being implemented. I don't, I think that I, I just don't know how it would bring in so many things. Like, cause let's talk about elk real quick. Um, to be classified as a spike in Montana, um, it either has to have, uh, of course a single main beam or it can have a branch, but that branch has to be less than, is it four, four inches, four, four inches. Mm -hmm. Right. Which brings a lot of question. Cause I mean, what happens if you're four inches and, in, 4.001 inches, you know what I mean? Or 4.1 inches. Um, and so I think that would raise the same question is what classifies a three-point? How much problems are we going to have with three-point shooting? Um, but I, I, I think along the realms of the conversation, something needs to be had about what? What was that? What just happened? I was trying to, I was trying not to burp into the mic. Well, bro. and the, their other kind of idea of it too is like the, the fact that the only reason like outside of being a adult hunter the only 
sense that you would have to shoot something under three point is for a, a youth hunter scenario, which it's like at that point, I mean, I, that's, that's, that's opinionated. That's your view. Right. That's how you were so, raised. No, but I'm saying like, instead of doing like, if that were, was the actual state's law in that sense, where an adult hunter cannot shoot any deer under three points, unless you're a youth hunter is where you can go out and shoot the deer under that. And that's obviously herd management stuff and population. But with the numbers that we've been seeing in the recent years, I feel like herd management should be taken account for the entire state. You know what I mean? Okay. So I think in a state that had a less population of deer, it could probably work, but you got to figure we have a lot of area. Okay, let me let me ask you this. I don't hold know. On, if- hold on. My thought's not done. We have a lot of area, and there's a lot of people out there that won't shoot a doe. So if you take out all of those two points and two by threes and stuff, they're going to get overpopulated. Where are you basing your knowledge off of by saying there's a lot of people out there that won't shoot a doe? Because just, I feel like the majority of the population that hunts in Montana are just deer hunters, and they go out that one weekend a month, and they shoot the first thing that comes across there. Which is true in a lot of aspects, but I also have seen a lot of... Um, I think I've been very fortunate in being able to not only hunt myself but we've been a lot of places and i've seen a lot of things in the back of trucks i've come across and nine times out of ten it's gonna have horns i feel like in my now have i seen guys shoot doe i mean we that year that you helped that uh that youth hunter get his buck you know they were gonna go home with those only i think that um I think a majority of, I think if you looked at the statistics on what's gone through game checks, uh, a higher percentage of horned animals are going through the game checks than not horned. It, way different for elk, though. Because um, a lot of people are, you know, it's an animal that's much harder to acquire, and let alone acquire land to be able to, you know, there's a lot of private land out there that holds elk on it. Um, so, like, shooting a cow is, is a is a hard feat in its own. So... Um, but I would say as far as deer and uh, even antelope go, um, pertaining to Montana, you know, our Western hunting ideologies here, um, the the more frequent animal killed is probably going to have horns. So back to what Ramsey was saying about population. Um, he's seen this. So I'm going to ask you, I'm not going to make it a question. Basically, if you had to guess what state has the most I am making a question. What state has the most deer population? I think we've talked about this before. Um, it's probably like Kansas or Midwest or something like that. Somewhere Midwest. So as far as my research has gone here, Colorado has a massive, I mean, that is, they're, they're saying that it's above 600,000. Um, and they're in the past well 40 be. years, and then it's typically like 400,000. But I, I did look up Montana. If you had to guess, how many do you think you're in Montana for d- total deer, whitetail and mule deer? Um, I'm just trying, let me try to think of some quotas real quick on regions. Um, based off that Colorado quarter million, though, 
Uh, actually, it was about it, 507, wasn't it? It was a uh, 507,000 total, and it if, half a million. So, which is is in a sense, <clears throat> it's not that ridiculous to say, but it's saying here that about 300,000 of that is mule deer, which I could see. I could believe that. Yeah. Um, and then I was looking into like Wyoming with that whole like. I mean, Wyoming's a big state about like mule deer migration stuff that we've talked about. Wasn't Colorado at the bottom of the mule deer migration? They're saying that there's only about the Rocky Mountain front thirty to forty thousand deer in Wyoming. That's substantially lower. I don't know. I don't really know enough about Wyoming to comment on that. I guess. I mean, I, I thought I've seen a lot of. I think there's a literally lot of, a deer population by state right there. Is there? Yeah. Let's see what the most is. I would guess it's this is from uh, animals.com. Where'd you say, Ramsey? Alaska, just land area. They only have two species of deer, and it's only in the southern part of Alaska. Texas. Yeah, it makes sense. Is Five it? Texas is the number here that reads. It's a little chart here. We can you can you can probably scroll down and find the actual number. Yeah, you can also put that on the. This is the chart here for the uh, the nation. Um, it's saying that. These are the numbers. So the the first article you read about Colorado is incorrect. No, no, I never said Colorado was the biggest. I was just saying that I I, I guess I I didn't have the answer to the question I asked you, but Colorado just surprised me by the number amount. But oh, I, I mean, that. if you look at right here, that's saying five point five million in the you know the jet red. That's that seems. It's also the second largest state. Yeah. I guess Al- so. My Kansas guess wasn't that but far. But if out. you look at Alaska, that's Alaska. That's saying yeah. that number right there. And look at Idaho compared to us. In Idaho, I would say so. Nevada has no deer in it. That's wild. Fifteen is, to ninety. Is, do you 000? think it's all because it's like almost all mule deer? Uh, in Nevada. I guess I don't really know the entirety of hunting in Nevada. I don't. It seems weird to me that Louisiana is that low when the wasn't most of it in the swamp? Five states around it have Yeah, but is Louisiana mostly a swamp? You would think, though, looking at this, that Montana would be a little bit more... I think it's... I don't know it makes sense, stage. though, because, uh, you know, they're really known for their mule deer population. I think that maybe we need to get more educated on this before we comment. This is... Huh. I mean, obviously, deer populations in the southern states, you know, where guys are out doing a... Well, there's a lot of whitetail. Yeah, I mean, that's just plain and simple what, yeah. what it is. Um, but I mean, like this... Wow, Arizona surprises me. 427,000, Connecticut, Delaware. Florida. Florida. That's crazy. I would never, ever, if you asked me, I would never guess that many in Florida. Ever. Georgia, quite a few. We know some guys from Georgia. Um, that really doesn't surprise me. But it's Axis deer. Yeah, there's, there's a high population yeah, of Axis right, deer. Right. Um, Idaho, Illinois. Illinois, that's a big number. Indiana, Kansas. Are you just trying to get to Montana? I'm just, yeah, let's see. Well, I have it pulled up, but. <laughs> what if they're like, there's a population of three Red stag in Montana. Yep, five hundred seven thousand. Five hundred seven thousand. Three hundred thousand mule. See, and now if you look at that though, 
What is that? It say? says 300,000. Oh, I guess it says about 300,000. The two species live in different parts of the state. I That is false. That is falsity. False. Yeah, that is very false. They live on top of each other. Nebraska? I don't know. It's Nevada only has mule deer. So let's get back to the, the subject at hand, the question here. Yeah. So um, what what would you guys... I mean, like, what would your opinions be on that? I question? just think that the the FWP probably doesn't want to. They probably have so much struggle with already trying to. Like I said, the elk stuff is so much to struggle already. Um, the the deer would be, and I I wouldn't do a three point if it was. Excuse me. If it was me making these laws, I would say, the law that I would that I would make to justify this conversation would be: you have to shoot a fully formed four by four mule deer, right? But. With what you're saying right there, wouldn't you say that the fact that most deer hunters don't have that knowledge, like if you think you can, about you can it, count four on each side though, right? But I'm saying, I think it's way too difficult because even think like Ramsey shot Ramsey shot a three point one time that was like twenty six inches wide, and it was barely a three point. Like it had nubs, it had crab claws at the front. Like it was almost a two point. They're and in the back, actually. And that was enough. that was probably a and that was probably a four or five year old deer. That was a mature deer. So it's like this is where you run into the mule deer. Is mule deer so dependent on nutrition, uh, what happens in the winter time, water, all of that stuff to determine horn growth? And so, if you were and and, and I get what I get where this conversation comes conversation comes from because there's a lot of uh, what they call down in the Midwest button bucks uh, two point. Uh, four corns, we call them here. Um, small one to three year old deer killed here a lot. We've had this conversation so many times uh, about this one to three year old mule deer that's been killed, one to three year old white tail that's been killed. But mule deer specifically, and I I just don't know if my white tail information is not as. And if there's a lot of guys from a lot of white tail hunters out there that want to speak up for this, um, but as far as mule deer go, my experience with mule deer is I was guiding this year. Right, I had these guys. There was this one ridge that I kept going to. I loved it. We'd park at a certain spot. We'd hike in, and nine times out of ten, there was this one. Uh, it was like a saddle in this little mountain range that would hold deer almost every night. And I come out there one night, and I pulled the binoculars. I'm looking. I see a couple does. I'm looking in the trees, and all of a sudden, I see this deer. And I'm telling you, I thought I, I was like, finally found it. Like I was like, we found a mature one. Like it looks like it's probably got like a 27 inch frame, right? You know, probably 22, 24 tall. It looks awesome. Turn sideways. He's a one by two. And tell me that that deer right there is not potentially a five, six year old deer. What do you do in that? That deer needs to be culled out of that herd. That's, that's a deer that that's what they call. If you're referring to as like a management buck, that's a bad genetic um, could have potential for, um, you know, something either happened to him when he was, when he was growing horns, he either got an injury or bat or just plain bad genetics. That's a deer yourself, like in that instance that you would want to cull from that herd. What do you do when you can only shoot a three pointer better? So looking at it this way, when you like, I would say our herd management mentality, which this is obviously Range's opinion, we're not shooting 
like as far as Ramsey and I's herd management mentality that we do within um a property that we religiously hunted for the last three years, um, our herd management is shooting the basically shooting the mature bucks that are, you know, they score good. Um, they're a large horned animal because they are at the peak of their maturity, right? What is the harm in leaving that deer that you just spoke about live out there the rest of his life? What's the harm in that for herd management? That's the only thing that I, I have never, there's no reason that I should, that you shouldn't leave that. Well, the problem is we're tiptoeing the line of so many like questionable gray area conversations within hunting where you want to talk about whether it's, um, do you shoot for, I mean, people shoot for horns or do you shoot for whatever? And, and that's where it's hard to explain our mentality on things where, yes, you're trying to shoot that deer that has lived its life, that is mature and it ends up being, you know, cause at the end of the day, and this is personal choice. This isn't what you guys are doing. Whatever. At the end of the day, I'm not particularly going out there to shoot 180 inch mule there every time. Right. I'm going out there and I want to shoot a deer that has had probably four to five breeding seasons. Right has lived its life and you know again it's getting that genetics out there it's getting it's helping the population you know if you shoot a one two-year-old buck it's probably not going to breed in that first year anyways so you got one breeding year out of a buck and again like a lot of people aren't going to have that choice though right we're very lucky because we have some private spots where you guys can make that kind of adjustment make that kind of strategy and but what you have to understand sean is if if you're on a public land like even talk about like the spot that we used to hunt when we were kids. It was private, but it was like really shoddy private. Like it was mismanaged, and a lot of the the deer that were on there were not. They would not hit that potential, right? There wasn't the nutrients. I mean, they were they were. It was straight dry hay, right? It was it was a wheat property, um, and and sagebrush, rolling hills, low water, right? So all the horns they came out spindly. They came out. Um, they didn't really get big ever, and so in that herd, right, your most mature buck in there could have been a three-year-old pushing all the does, riding and stuff like that. Whereas you go to your property and all the deer that are pushing does and stuff during the rut in your property are these ones like Ramsey has harvested. 160, 170, 180 inch mule deer that are running the country. And a lot of these places, it's 110 inch bucks pushing does and if that's all you got that's all you got so where i'm going to disagree with you on this is herd management in far, is as far as ramsey and i go with our uh a likeness on hunting it's per herd you know what i mean it's not like yes we have the opportunity to hunt a private area that can produce very large mule deer for sure. But if you're somebody that goes out to a public land spot consistently every year, your herd management is not based off of the Boone and Crockett's. It's based off of what your herd produces. So in that sense, if the biggest mule deer that you've seen for the last two years hasn't gotten bigger than a three point, that's the mature buck that you're going to take whether or not your herd can't grow something that's that big because it happens. 
plenty of times. Maybe they're out there, you know what I mean? But also the other thing you got to look at with what you were saying about the, you know, the mature four or five year old buck, it could be 140 inch max. It, it potentially could never reach a, a trophy to like a Boone and Crockett scale or something like that. But what I'm basically what I'm getting at is that one by two or one by three that you see in a herd that you can tell is an older deer. Do you think he's bred even one time? Do you think he's bred at all? At all? That would be the only thing that I look at going into that is like something like he is going to get beat by the studs of your herd in a sense, whether it be a 120 inch deer or a 180 inch deer. Yeah. And I, I agree with that in a lot of aspects, but at the same time too, there's a lot of these, um, goofy bucks and goofy bulls and stuff like that, that they almost have an advantage by having one giant spike or one or two horns. And they're actually winning out in some of those mature buck contests. Now I get what you're saying, but I think that we're, we're, when they talk about hunting privilege, we're privileged to even be having this conversation because a lot of the people out there don't have the ability and again, if they put in the time and the effort, they, they probably could even on public land have the same conversation opportunity as we do. Um, but we all, I mean, we've talked about this before. We understand that there's people out there that only, they, they, they don't get to live this lifestyle that we get to live, where we get to really put in the science, the knowledge, the the work, all that stuff into this stuff. A lot of these people are just leaving their house on a Friday night or, or Saturday morning and hunting Saturday, you know what I mean? And so they don't have the luxury of, of understanding herd management, you know what I mean? And I mean, even to throw another wrench at it, I've seen two-year-old deer that were this wide, you know, this tall, and they were a four-by-four. Four. Yeah, well, let me ask you another question. You have three deer that are trophies in a lot of people's eyes you have three of them right and you they're all different ages right tell me let's tell the audience here about what what size those deer are and which one's the oldest what my deer yes you're three you have three deer about what size did they score and of those three which one you you're not counting that one as no you're talking the other one the the two in the house that was a deadhead that that wasn't shot yeah. that was dead I keep I keep so this is just it. so he's he's a three taxidermy I have my idea of what you're the three that you're talking about are there sure. there he has three of them ta- well one's at the taxidermist right. one's tax it's his three bucks that are on his wall essentially so I have one deer he's about 140 inches he's a does he have eye guards yes yes they're he's a four by four. Yeah, that's what I was Perfect. getting at. Four by four with little eye, they're small eye guards. And he's got a, a start, he has a half kicker on the one back. back yeah, but yeah. it's not long enough to count. But at that point, that that, that that's deer more at like that a point, bump on a pickle. That was a mountain mule deer. And it is though. So yeah, keep going with that. It was a 140 inch mule deer, 145, somewhere in there. I have the one that I shot in 2019, which is roughly between 165 and 175 inches. Mm-hmm. 25. <clears throat> what? And then I have the deer that I shot this year, which my guess is I'm going to say over 165, but he's just a solid four. He's just a 
super up. super wide four point yeah. super wide four by four and he's not super heavy so essentially you have you have two deer that are that are easily 165 plus right trophy mule deer a lot of people will never get that opportunity in their life you've got two of them and then you've got 140 inch those are your trophies right, right. of those three deer which one is the oldest I can the smallest one is the oldest smallest one six and a half years old really yeah because we actually had the opportunity um when he shot his his that four point, we were coming back from the mountains, ran yeah. into a game check, and they aged it. And he was six yeah. and a half years old. Yes, and then of course the the one I shot this year was three and a half, and the one from twenty nineteen was four and a half. That's point. what I figured. So I would actually would have had the other one, your the one forty, as the youngest, only for the sense that. Uh, a couple of. Um, if you say anything on his cape, that's not original. Cape. No, no. The, the I'll, I'll I'll tell that story here in a second. With any you. like I've read. Uh, I mean, you guys know me. I'm a big mule deer guy. I've read so many forums and stuff about biologists talking about mule deer, um, especially with the the massive uh, Wyoming migration that happens every year that you guys always give me shit for. But I one thing that I've noted from it is that eye guards. Or a big tail in some in some instance, and regression is on eye guards on like a like a typical deer. Are uh, you can't really like you can't tell in a sense like there's regression within horn right. So obviously eye guards will shrink as they regress, but a lot of the times like you the eye guards can somewhat stay the same for the entire life of the deer, whether it's a 120 inch for its entire lifespan or a 200 inch so that was why the only reason i would say that 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 140 inch deer was the youngest one mm -hmm. is because eye guards can you know it's hard to say and i can't i can't for for i see it every day at my house i don't know how i can't recall exactly if the eye guard look on it or not um i'm just gonna i'm gonna pull it up on my phone um but just email it to me. I think you were you got a disservice in the conversation because you were probably unaware that uh, that thing had the most beautiful cape I've ever seen on a mule deer. No, I knew this. I knew and Ramsey wasn't going to mount it. Ended up mounting it with a cape that from someone else's deer. They're they're pretty small, honestly. So how old was this buck? Six, Six and a half years old. Really? And for some reason, I feel like it was seven over seven years old. No, it was six and a half. Okay. That's what you're talking about right there. Yeah, it's not quite. It's a little bump on a pickle. But I just I, so this is what I I'm saying. Tell. You're running into so many things here. Like the the oldest deer that he has is the smallest one he has, and that one could have been. And I think that's where people struggle on mule deer. Now, while I say as Sean, I, I'm I guide these things. I understand horn growth and horn aspects and stuff. I can tell you the difference between nine times out of ten between a young immature buck and a, and, a, and a mature one but a lot right. of people that don't have that opportunity could never tell you right um i i totally agree with that but in the fact that like looking at horn size i'm not saying like i i don't necessarily totally agree with the idea of like the three-point thing i'm just saying, i get what you're saying you're, you had a basis for conversation like if, if you were looking at it as like mature bucks i i know there's guys out there that are just weekend warriors type that go out and maybe you know one or two weekends that i mean you use that term so loosely 
I do in a sense, yes. But there's nothing wrong with you. He's not saying anyone that's listening. He's not complaining. He's not saying there's nothing wrong. He's just saying that he understands that there are people out there that don't put in the time to understand. I'm not. I'm not. I, what not, I'm saying, not saying is, that negatively. No, I'm not saying that negatively. What I'm saying is the guys that you know are so busy five days a week that they you know they can't they can't do what we do in a sense. Um, and you know, some of them aren't, aren't those guys that are, there's plenty of guys out there that are so busy, you know, working 60 hours a week, 70 hours a week that just don't have the time to, you know, focus and really chase the, the passion of it in a sense. And a lot of our, ours is easier because of the location. Some guys hunt two, three, four hours away. Right, right. But the the point I'm getting at here is if you're a hunter in Montana, you went through the hunter's education, you understand from the teachings that they gave you, whether you did it when you were 12 or you were 20, that what the difference between a mature animal and a non-mature animal is. In a lot of ways, it's kind of common sense built. Basically, what I would say would be a good thing to do with that mentality if the state of Montana state of Montana was to adopt that kind of attitude towards an ATEG for deer would be you can only shoot a mature animal. Yes, it's going to be very vague for sure. But in that sense, you're basically looking at something that you know any one of these, I would say, outside of maybe maybe this one, but the two of those and this white tail behind me, I would say are mature deer for a common sense in that case. That's what I'm getting at. It's not like you're not going to go out there and yes, you see a two point run by you. Don't shoot that. Shoot, you know, like, you know what I mean? That that would be the entire... As far as governing something, though, yeah. they would never do something like right. that. Yeah, and I think that the lot, a lot of the pushback you would get, especially from like uh, local hunters and stuff, would be like, "Here's another way that the government could tell me, um, I thought I was in the right, I'm now in the wrong." You know, because like, what is just? Let me just let me just throw down exactly what 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 I would see happening if anything like this ever did happen. First of all, there needs to be a population analysis and a, a real-world analysis on what is really out there. Are we really in a decline? Or is it a specific... Uh, regional decline. Regional decline, right? Because maybe, maybe in Western Montana... I, I honestly don't think that the four of us hunt enough in far Western Montana to make any justification or... Like any of us hunt. I mean, it's been... Have you ever or like Missoula, Missoula Western Montana while uh, holding a tag? From Missoula down yeah. to Dillon. Had to have been just like your first. Well, and I hear years. a lot. I I hear a lot from you know guys I knew and stuff. But the other thing I look at too is the one thing you got to note. And I know this is all all opinionated. I get it. But the fact shooting a hundred eighty inch mule deer has never affected the population of a of a mule deer herd. Oh no, I completely agree. Let me let me. I'm not. I'm not like what I'm saying is I'm not. I'm like all I'm saying is. Shooting that trophy-sized buck has never affected the herd, but shooting that two-by-two two can. No, and I don't disagree with that 
at all. I think that as we, someone that knows... We even had a conversation with Matt about why they have the rules at two leggings that they do is because if you shoot that two-year-old buck, you just lost five years of breeding, which could be upwards of 100 deer, yeah. 100 possible deer. The one thing I wanted more. to ask you, that, big question is... Okay, hold your question. Let me finish what I was what I was trying to get to here. So I think there needs to be a real-world analysis on exactly what's going on because... I don't think you can exactly say like Montana as a whole is in a deer decline. We need to implement the exact same rules for the exact same regions because it would really, it could really upset the balance and it could really um, upset a lot of local hunters, right? I mean, obviously, is there always going to be things that upset local hunters? Yes. But so you then find your population analysis, you figure it out. Is that what they're trying to do consistently? I'm sure. Yes. Um, but the only thing I think you could do to save this and to save the head, I, I would assume that the mature deer outlook, the, uh, the points on the horns outlook, stuff like that would be a nightmare scenario for a fishing game warden to try and implement that rule. For sure. It would. The only thing I think that you could do is implement regional. more regional a tag drawings and that would piss a lot i'm just saying i'm already probably pissing a lot of people off by even suggesting that but i think the only thing you could do is start turning more districts into draw only for buck tags but the only problem with that is you got to look at it like i just said shooting a 150 plus inch mule deer doesn't save the population and i understand that but you're never going to get you're never going to get a person you're never going to get 60% 60% of the population of Montana to say, you, Sean Morris is not going to be able to come out and say, you cannot shoot one and two point deer. Sean Morris went to, to government to try and implement a law that says you cannot shoot one point two point deer. The government, no one will ever, will, will literally tell you that this is my country. This is my tag. This is what I'm going to do. There's nothing we could ever do as much as, and, and I'm saying this from someone that, that wishes we could do something. I wish that we could do something to where we could start growing our herds. We could start implementing some sort of, um, some sort of tactic. But it's just it's it's just like any other crazy political situation that's going on in America. You could never implement something like that because there's too many people that are too opinionated and too. This is my land. This is my country. That they would shoot whatever they want. And, and if they couldn't do it, Sean, they would do it illegally. Right. And the other thing you got to think about too, which is it's very true that obviously this year we've talked about it on the podcast um people that follow any fwp news know that the deer turn-in rate was very low oh very 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 low as a as a state average now look at it this way take hunting rights completely away completely away for a year take it 10 years Nobody can hunt or shoot a mule deer, right? You got which di- they have done in some places, right? And you 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 got diseases. That's, that's Defcon worst case scenario for everybody. You got diseases like blue tongue, uh, CWD, things like this that kill deer naturally, in a sense, naturally. Do you think the numbers would drop lower than? In the sense where we've, you know, we've had hunters and things like that that have 
lowered the numbers for this year. But if you take it in the natural sense, there's no way that the numbers would be this low with the natural sense in taking over the the deer population. So clearly, clearly, it's hunting in Montana has dropped the deer population. It's there's no way around it. It is very true. Now, I'm not I'm not out here preaching that people need to have way better herd management. All I'm saying, this was merely a question, is I wonder if people maybe think that the deer population could rise if something like that was in place. You know what I mean? Because like I said the entire night, shooting a 180-inch mule deer does not drop the population, but shooting the next generation, in a sense, can. You know what I mean? No, I and I don't disagree whatsoever, but I also think that the 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 most highly um sought after I'm mean, sorry, like the, the the deer that's taking the most pain all year long is gonna be that hundred and sixty inch plus mule deer. That's a deer that has to fight for their herd, to fight for their their reproduction. That's a natural, and, natural and, pain, right? You would say Exactly because um, you know, and I didn't know this fact till I, you know, was an adult, you know, like probably I learned from Trapper Dave a while ago that, you know, predators are going after the mature deer. I didn't, I, I never would have thought that in my life. I would have thought easy pickings. Um, they're going after the three points the two points, the whatever. Um, but these mountain lions and stuff, they're going after the mature bucks. You know why? A, they're on their own most of the time. Um, easier to, you know, when there's less eyes, it's easier to sneak up on them. And another reason why a lot of bull elk die uh, is because after the rut, they're worn out, right? So the most the most pain that any deer is going to go through is going to be when they're at that mature deer. So the, the really the only hard times they're having is against hunters, you know? Typically. But I, I mean, it makes a lot of sense, and I hope you guys think the same thing, that like the herd management isn't, isn't necessarily like shooting that big buck is not holding the herd back in any way because that buck is either in its prime, it's the, you know, the high, it's the Midas of the herd and it's bred for at least a year. Majority of the time, I would say more than a year. And when you go out and you go shoot the smaller bucks, you know, cause I mean, it happens. I, I definitely have shot a, you know, not a stud, absolute stud, you know, Ramsey caliber mule deer before, but I mean, realistically, it, it does hurt the herd in a sense when you shoot those because it, you know, it's the next generation. It's going to be the next Midas. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think that, I think that more than anything, um, property, what is the term I'm trying to go here for? Uh, pressure is is harder than anything else Geographic so pressure. so you could have you could have a you could have a property right and i'm just saying property i'm not really trying i'm not really focusing on specifically private land like this could be public land too let's just say it's a square but uh, a one by mile one by one mile section of state land right that uh you could have one here at one location that gets 500 a year and you could have one here that gets 20 hunters a year right and so of those 20 hunters if they're uh, if they're all shooting deer, right, the population there is going to take a hit, right? No matter what size that deer is, where population on the other, if if all five of them shot, their 
impact on that property is still going to be less than the other one. Whether they have morals for deer size or not, that geographical location is getting more pressure, therefore hurting hurting that thing. So I almost wonder if, I don't know. I just, here's my real opinion on the whole thing here. I think that I personally am not educated enough on a couple things, right? And that being, what is the actual deer population? What kind of bucks are getting taken per per, per district? And, and a couple other things. Now, I get where you're coming from because I understand at the same point. I'm witnessing the death of young deer frequently, right? Just based off of what you drive by on the side of the road when you're, when you're, when you're going, you know, Montana has this cool thing where it's so wide open, right? There's so many opportunity for hunting. Um, and, and that's the same thing with, I think, uh, you know, Idaho, Wyoming, uh, a lot of places with wide open country is when you're transitioning between maybe spot to spot or, um, just down the road, you're passing by hunters. You're, you're coming across what they've harvested. I mean, I, I remember one time, uh, we were just coming home. We weren't even hunting and we come across, uh, a hunter that had just harvested in a local town and they showed us their kill and it ended up being again, you know, a very small, a very small deer. Um, and so, yes, we're, we're able to see a lot of what goes on without knowing that kind of information. But I just, I don't find myself educated enough to make any sort of determining factor uh, to judge the entire state on what's going on. Do I think from what I've seen personally that we need to do something? Yes. So my question I was going to ask you though, like you being in the profession of hunting with your, you know, your guiding through two leggings and things like that. Um, in the, in the recent years, have you seen a decline in the smaller deer? Uh, so here, I'm going to give you a five-year runoff right here. When I started, um, hunting with, um, on this property, my, my notice mule deer, let's just start in 2020, right? Maybe 2019. 2019 and 2020 were amazing years for mule deer. There was a lot of mature bucks. There was a lot of, like, not even that. There was a lot of does. One, two, three-year-old bucks. Something happened between 2020 and 2021, whether, and we've speculated this. I mean, we've had conversations about this forever. The drought. Um, Na- hot, natural, hot summers. Natural, natural things. things. Yeah. Um, I don't know. There was something that happened between that year and 21. I, I think that the the best person in my life that could give us the best outlook on this would be someone of Dave's, Trapper Dave's stature. Someone that's been on a property for 45 years, 50 years, and could tell you, because I, I almost wonder if mule deer go through like anything else's. They go through historical seasonal changes, right? Five years, five years are at one point, they drop five years. They go up five years, they go down. Um, but I will tell you, 21, 22, the deer populations were very scarce. And there was a lot of, um, you know, I remember one, one year where it was, uh, I wasn't finding any mature bucks at all. I was finding the 140 bucks, right? But then there was no 120, 110, 90. I mean, all these smaller bucks all down to, and we were seeing basically spikes, two points, uh, immature three points, and then maybe like, uh, a good, like a, one of those deer, right? This year, uh, 
I started to see. I think I think I counted eleven shooter bucks this year, which was the most I've seen since two thousand whatever. And then we saw probably I have I would take a picture of um, I just love animals so much I would take a picture of every deer that we didn't shoot right ended up being dozens and dozens probably almost to a hundred dinks right uh, whether it be three four points you know I wasn't taking pictures of little guys I was taking pictures of you know that three and four point that class of deer that I've been missing for a long time right but at that same rate I was missing two points and one and, and spikes this year. So I don't, I don't know. I think that there's generational gaps that are missing and the same thing happens with fish too. Um, I remember, uh, the local river around here where it's, it's controlled by flows and one year they up the flows, wipe some egg beds and you're running into the same thing where there's giant fish, baby fish, you're missing the in-between fish. And that's kind of what I saw with deer too. And I don't, uh, again, I just, I think I personally am too uneducated on a lot of this but from personal experience, I think that Montana could benefit from some sort of major change in how we look at mule deer population. No, I, I totally agree with that. And, I, and, you know, honestly, like asking, asking you in the sense of the property that you, you know, you professionally guide and hunt, um, it's, it was that's kind of a tough thing to ask you because that area produces, you know, such mature mule deer. The, the better question to ask somebody like that. I, I would be, actually argue that your area produces more, but, um, where I'm at specifically because it's only hunted by an outfitter, you see more. Right. But you're not getting the population. And, and, and another thing to say, like, I, I, I actually don't get to hunt deer there. I get to hunt elk there. So like Mia, I have never, right. I don't, I don't, know that ranch as a deer hunter you know what i'm saying i know it as as uh, a guide which i mean they go hand in hand it's the same thing i mean you're you're, you're essentially trying to uh you're hunting you're doing the, the same yeah, thing yeah. but for someone else um but i don't have that i don't have that same like passion you know what i mean like i don't have that like elk when i get to hunt elk here not and I do a lot of this too to help to help two leggings that it's you know in its own you know whether it's um, camera work, scouting what this this and that. Um, I know what elk are out there. I know when they're coming through. I've spent days and days in the field watching elk sneaking up on elk. You know, I know these elk are before you can even you can even pull your bow back or whatever. Deer is not the same for me because I I can't hunt them. So like I don't have that same knowledge of what's going on. But I can tell you what I know from from what I've seen. And that that's about it. That's really that's all I can do. Sean wants Sean wants to go to the bathroom so bad, but he he's no, I'm I just good. I just try no, to bring him into conversation. No, so that would be my thing looking at it is the only reason, like I'm not saying that Montana needs to change its laws or like people are wrong or right about what they're doing with herd management. But like what I'm getting at is when I reference Ramsey and I for the listeners out there is because Ramsey and I literally hunt the entire Montana hunting season Jesus together. Christ. We, we understand and logically make decisions together about everything that we do 
with with a rifle or a bow. And so like when I say three years ago, shoulder season, I didn't hunt that property that we were on during rifle season. So I can't answer the the mule deer population question for that year. But what I can tell you from what I saw that year is during shoulder season, when obviously you're not allowed to shoot mule deer or anything like that, when we were driving in, I saw studs. I mean, I'm talking stud mule deer on that. And I don't know if you saw those during rifle season or not, but that's one thing. But what I'm getting at is like, shouldn't your herd management mentality that you have personally it's everybody's opinion on how they do this but your herd management adapts to the herd correct i mean in a sense it should so like i was saying earlier about having a population of deer that you've hunted on this property for say five years you've seen the biggest deer whether it be on a trail camera or with your own eyes or through a spotting scope you haven't seen a deer in five years that's over 150 inches. You understand in that fact that maybe, of course, you're missing some pass-throughs, but that's not the initial herd that you're doing, you know, stats off of, in a sense. Your herd management adapts per herd. So in that case, that's a stud. That's a stud when you're out there, you want to shoot a mature mule deer. You want, you know, you want something that looks good on the wall. I mean, that's... Why, why shouldn't you be able to have that um, mentality as a hunter in Montana? In that case, that's a mature meal deer to shoot, right? So your adaption of, a, of, of your herd management goes with the herd. It makes the most sense because the next year, you, that 140-inch deer that you passed up on because, you know, it looked young, blah, blah, blah. It could be a 160-inch deer the next year. You never know. So the fact that when you find a herd of deer on the place that you hunt the most, does that not make a lot of sense with your herd management, like where it adapts? I mean, No, I, I totally get where you're coming from, but I think that I've hunted deer in so many different places in, in, this, in this state that every one of them has, and I, I don't know how you feel about this, Ramsey, but I feel like it's different every location you go to. Oh, yeah. Like, the place that Ramsey and I hunted when we were growing up, you were never going to see a giant deer. It was never going to happen. The, the the most mature, and and I get, like, there was a lot of other people that hunted there, too. It was, it was block management, so really it was it was public in, in all essence. Um, I've just been different places where it was different things, and, like, you know, we go from where we're at in eastern Montana and then go to the mountains. It seemed to me like the deer population in the mountains was always thriving. You know, like yeah. where you guys go, like you'd run into um, 30, 40, 50 deer at a time out in the middle of the woods and it seemed like they were doing well where you come back down here and it was, I just, I don't know. I don't. We I saw really stuff. There year. was a significant switch in my mentality when I stopped, well, I didn't completely stop hunting the property we hunted as kids, but switched from there to Narnia a couple years before you started hunting with me. Because the first year, I, the first year I, we didn't shoot anything out there. Or Garrett, Garrett shot a bull the first year. He had a bull tag for over there. 
And the second year was the year that I shot my deer, my first big deer. My mentality, there was a lot of deer that I saw from afar the first year I hunted out there that having my mentality from the previous place, if I could have made the right stock on him, I would have shot him. Whereas after 2019, that completely switched to where I'm like, yeah, no, he's got another couple years before I'm going to even think about it. Well, think about like, think about your adventure, like your livelihood as a, as an outdoorsman. Right. And especially someone like yourself that, um, you were, you were of all essence, a first generation hunter, maybe a second generation. I mean, I, I love our dad to death, but he, he wasn't doing what we're doing now. So, uh, we're a second generation hunter. I, I I guess I could give him the benefit, but like it was he so hunted different. the way they hunted back then. Like that he hunted, um, you know, like he didn't have to put in the. We we're literally putting in book knowledge, real time experience, like the stuff that we're putting in, uh, to to do what we do. To some people, would just sound crazy, right? Um, the amount of effort and time we do just to put food on the table, which I I think, and I think it's come come to show in over the years, like. It's easier to me now to be in situations to harvest, right? And I think that's all because of what we learned. So we go back to the knowledge thing here. Um, I think that's what a lot of people like. I think that's what you're not. I think that's what you're struggling with right now. At 25 years old, you are very mature in your knowledge and your understanding of what goes on, right? When we were kids, that was a giant deer, right? I didn't know any better. I didn't know what a mature deer was till I saw them on the ground. Now I know and understand there is a significant difference between deer A, deer B, you know, in reference to like a hundred inch deer, 130 inch deer, 160 inch deer. Like there is a giant jump once you go from like in, in an actual, like I never would have understood that there is a, such a big difference between that deer there and then and then an actual trophy class mule deer, right? And so when I was a kid, like that, what I see on the wall right there was what a two point was, if that makes sense, right? So I think a lot of people do that too, where it's just until you've really witnessed the great, like the the actual size and understanding of a mature, well nutritioned mule deer you'll never know and so well that was that what i was getting at though is like the things that i have been i not i'm not going to say proposing because i'm not saying that like that's where i'm at right now because i'm not i mean obviously we're just doing well a lot of us still are anyways i mean there's the reason i was saying is like in that sense though if you if that was law what i basically proposed to you guys not going to say that because I just said I wasn't proposing. But what I was saying tonight about that question I asked you, youth hunting is totally out of the picture. Like that that stuff, that is free game, everything. Like that was the whole thing that Why I do you think it's youth hunting? That was me up until I was 20 years old. I don't it I don't know why I, it's tough for me to like you didn't. You that's a that's a thing you didn't that. have. I didn't have that. I wasn't. I I didn't hunt until I was twenty. You know what I mean. So I had that. Call it maturity, or call it whatever you will. But that's kind of why I was say I w- I would say that. But 
at the same time, like to give the listeners an idea of our, like how we hunt together, because I don't know if we've really, like we've told stories and things, but I don't know if we've really truly addressed it is this year, the three of us went mule deer hunting after a busted antelope day. And we went to a property that you guys have hunted and, and, you know, harvested animals from. Right. That one on the wall is our familiar. And we did a two and a half hour stock where Riley was our, essentially our overwatch through a spotting scope, just watching us making, you know, just addressing the situation, having his own opinion. And Ramsey and I are belly down on the ground for two and a half hours making a stock. And ended it's up, okay, Sean. You can say I was too lazy to go on the hike with you. I'm no, I, I, I wouldn't necessarily say that that was the case. But I think you just really didn't go because you didn't really need to. Yeah, it, no. it would have been too many. It would have been well, and been I, too much surface area. But what there, I was there's getting a point at, too where like I would rather just stay there and then witness everything go down, and then you guys come back and be like, "Hey, this is what happened from my point of view," and then I can say, "Hey, actually, while you were sitting there, um, I watched like four deer walk behind you." Right, but. What I was getting at is we did this literally it was two it was two hours of Ramsey and I on our stomachs hunting a mule deer that we spotted from the truck that looked like a shooter mule deer in our eyes. We made the decision to go after it. Two hours on our stomachs, crawling through cactus, rocks, everything, uncomfortable. And Ended up getting in a shooting distance and a shooting, perfect shooting lane, being able to take the shot if we wanted to, and then ended up, no, let's, uh, let's reassess. Let's, let's move on. You know what I mean? So oh, yeah. that's kind of our ideals that we hold. Yeah. And that's where a lot of our opinion comes from. Let me try to draw a conclusion of this conversation. I think that this will always be opportunity-based. I think that we're privileged in a way that there's some, we have more opportunity than most, but at the same time we've put in the effort um, and we still hunt public land. I mean, that's something that we definitely do 50% of our lives. I mean, uh, we do enjoy, there's some really amazing opportunities to be had in wilderness, you know, Montana forest service areas um, that we still enjoy to do. And so we get a, different outlooks, but I will say that I think that this conversation is opportunity based and a lot of people may look at this in a way where it's like, you guys seem a little privileged and I want to be the devil's advocate and saying, um, it's, it's we are, but it's been earned. Yeah. But it's, 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 it's opportunity based. So like, there's not a lot of people that get the opportunity to hunt 10 to 10 times a year. And, you know, there's people that only get to hunt once a year. And and that one time they're going to go out and they're going to bring home some sort of harvestable animal to put in the freezer. And that's what's important to them. That's what really is important to all hunters out there. And I think that, I think that that's what you have to just kind of draw down to is, is this conversation is opportunity based. And if you have the oppor- opportunity to try and keep you know, make us make some better judgments and what should be harvested, then you should do it. And if you can't do that, then 
uh, that's just that's your right as a Montana Montana tag holder, right? And like I, what I would like to say too is like I'm not out there, I'm not voicing my opinion as as the law. I'm just saying that this was a, I thought this was a great question to bring up, um, and it, you know, it sparked a lot of conversation between the three of us, and I, explaining kind of how we, um have our opinion and how we hunt with herd management, I think is, is good, you know, for people that, cause I don't know if we've ever really truly, we've always talked about herd management, but we've never voiced our opinion on it, you know? And I think it's, it's a good thing cause there's probably plenty of people out there that are agreeing with it and some that aren't. And that's fine. Cause it's all, you know, it's Montana. You, you're right as a hunter is, well, and this applies to, all Western region states and even some whitetail states that have some of the same issues. Um, but yeah, this is, that's the best thing about having a podcast is we can bring up conversation and like there was a lot of points in there that I wasn't on one side or the other. I just like bringing up topics for conversation and that's what Sean's saying too is uh, really he was on not one side of the fence or more. He just, it's a good conversation to be had. It can bring up uh, topics and, and things that, uh, you know, if you want to, if we can get some people to give some feedback on this, that'd be wonderful to really hear from um, what everyone else is seeing out there in the, in the mule deer world um, and uh, what you guys' opinions would be on on what's going on. And um, I really think that we could have an entire four hour long podcast on mule deer. Oh, yeah. You could, you could, you could probably draw a one day panel and just people in the nearest five miles that opinion on Seriously. mule deer. And it's whitetail too. It's deer hunting. It's hunting as a whole. I mean, elk could go in the antelope could go in that. There's just so much, um, there's just so much conversation to be had. And I think that it was a good one. I'm, I'm glad you brought it up. It was fun to talk about. It was, you know, in the middle of March, not what we expected to talk about today, but I think that that's the best thing about Bull Mountain Brothers is we can, uh, we can talk about anything. And I think bringing up uh, deer was a nice change of pace to get away from fishing and lack of uh, doing things on the weekend. We and that's really that time of season too, because I mean you're you're putting in for yeah big a tags. Yeah, this so. is this is tag season here. You know, so you're putting in. There's strategies to that. There's you know maybe maybe knowing about where the mule deer population is now could really help you um, get to a point where you. Um, make your decisions on what tags you're going to put in for. So for sure. Um, that with that being said, I think that, uh, we're going to wrap things up here. Um, again, thanks for everyone that showed up to the, the high horse saloon. Um, we'll see everyone at the squire tomorrow and, uh, really nothing else uh, going on though. I mean, there's a million things <laughs> going on. Uh, we, something big's coming. Sean's shaking right now because there's so many things that he'd love to talk about. Some amazing things that are coming. I mean, literally, for some reason, April is going to be the sickest month of our entire <laughs> our entire company's existence. Like the coolest stuff is coming out in April. Um, so stay tuned for that. And uh, for now, I think we'll we'll wrap this up. Yeah. Catch you on the next one. See ya later. Thanks for listening to another episode of Bull Mountain Brothers. Hey, if you're looking for more Bull Mountain Brothers, be sure to follow us on TikTok and Instagram at bull underscore mountain underscore brothers and Facebook and YouTube at Bull Mountain Brothers. Also, don't forget to check out our B&B store at bullmountainbrothers.com where you can find some super sweet deals on some seasonal merchandise and outdoor gear.